Well, hey, New City, so glad that you are joining us today. My name is Nate Bush, going to be the lead pastor here at New City. Uh, we've been beginning the talks every week by saying we are an imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. Uh, I do want to just remind you that we are an imperfect people. And because we are imperfect, we know that we are not slaying it right now. Uh, that what we're going through is hard. And we can all say this together. This is hard. Like what we're going through is hard. Uh, I was talking to my wife uh, earlier today. Uh, and she said, I think my schedule from now on is going to be like 4 a.m. to like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. I get to do my work. And then after the kids go to bed, I get another three or four hours in the evening because we're all trying to figure out how to do this online school business. I got my haircut uh, earlier this week. And I, when I got my haircut, I was talking to the barber, say, it looks like there's another barber missing from your uh, barber shop. And he said, yeah, he had to take uh, he, had to, he had to quit because he's, somebody has to stay home and educate their child. And I know people are going through a hard time right now. And this is a very, very difficult time for, for many of us. And so we can confess two things. One, this is hard. And two, that we are imperfect people, okay? But we can be courageous, believing in Jesus' power to make things new. We can be courageous, believing that he will show up, even in this very difficult time. And so I want to remind you the gospel is, I can't, he did, because he did, I can and so you can't become a Christian unless you say, I can't do this on my own. I can't be my own savior. I'm not strong enough or good enough or, you know, uh, you know I, I don't have enough skills to deploy to rescue myself. I am in need of a savior and that my savior is Jesus. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself and because he did, I can. That's our confession as Christians. And so take that with you this week. I can't. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing it for me. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more today in our sermon about identity and how our identities cannot be, cannot be formed around our performance, but need to be formed around what Christ has already done for us. Uh, on Friday of this week, I will have sent out a video announcement. Uh, you can see it at newcityabq.org forward slash four step plan if you've yet to see it. Just letting you know where we are and laying tracks for you about where we are in terms of our reopening plan. And I want you to be able to have uh, you know, full clarity about where we are in that process. But before I jump in the message, I do want to show you what we are doing in terms of in-person opportunities. And August 9th, that's today, Sunday, uh, back to school drive-through. You can participate in that still. It's this afternoon. Uh, who is this for? Uh, this is for anybody who wants to give school supplies to help Mission Ave Elementary School, the school we've adopted. It is also for anybody who is a teacher. Please come if you're a teacher. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to encourage you. You are not in this alone. And I should say anybody else who's a parent should also come because we've given, we've put some resources together, especially for those elementary age and below kids, some resources to help you to lead your children spiritually during this time. We really want you to be able to give them the hope of the gospel and uh, be able to speak the hope of Jesus into their lives. And so back to school drive through is for multiple categories of people. Anybody wants to give? Anybody, any teacher? Uh, we'd love for you to be able to receive. And any parent, we'd love for you to be able to receive at the back to school drive through experience. It's going to be pretty awesome. I, I heard there's going to be snacks and treats as well. So uh, please come. Let us pray for you. August 22nd is a prayer experience. I can tell you we've been working on this for weeks. 
It's a multiple hour prayer experience over a Saturday. Uh, we will have our whole auditorium set up for this prayer experience. It'll be COVID safe, all, nothing, you don't have to worry about anything as far as COVID safety in terms of coming, I hope, and that you will be able to experience uh, some opportunities to pray for others, but you also have the opportunity to be prayed for. It's gonna be a phenomenal uh, experience. Be really quick, in and out. Uh, please sign up, make, uh, make that a priority. We cannot endure this hard time that we're going through on our own, that we need each other, and we certainly need to be praying with each other for the power of God to be showing up in this very difficult time. There's a baptism Saturday happening on August 29th, and a baptism class preceding that. On September 12th, we've got a communion service we'll be having here. It'll be a special communion service that we would love to host you for. Take communion together, celebrate our Lord Jesus, and we want to encourage you uh, with the gospel message on September 12th with a special communion service. On September 19th, we've got another Engage event coming up. We're serving the city in person, caring for people in the city. We also will have, as we have before, uh, have some ways in which you can serve others uh, from home. Following the teaching today, this is new, we're going to have a live Q&A on Instagram and Facebook uh, because you can't get enough of me on these Q&As, right? The Instagram lives have been great. They've been awesome. This is so out of my comfort zone. So thank you for enduring them. Uh, but I've really enjoyed them. We've gotten some great questions. So this week we'll have a camera going just to Facebook and a camera going just to Instagram. And we'll be able to entertain questions on both of those platforms. Love for you to engage in the message that we are talking about this week. In this house church series, I've been saying every week in the series that you have permission to be a priest. Like you don't need anyone uh, to give you this permission other than Jesus. He's already given it to you through his word. Uh, you are a priest and your home is a place of ministry. And you, your neighborhood is your parish. That's what you're responsible for. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, 9, the Bible reads, you are a holy priesthood that you may proclaim his excellencies, how he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are that you may. I want to make note of one point here. In the gospel, the indicative always comes before the imperative. The indicative, you are, comes before the imperative that you may. Uh, in fact, who you are is the thing that precedes what you must do in response to who you are. So to say it another way, before God changes how you live, he changes who you are. Part of accepting the gospel is accepting the life change that God has brought into our life. And so you could say discipleship is closing the gap. Closing the gap between who you are because of what Christ has done and how you live. And at various times in our journeys, there might be a significant gap between how I'm living and who I am. And what discipleship is doing is closing the gap between who I am and how I'm living. It's bringing those things together. And so it changes some of how you're reading 1 Peter when you see discipleship in that way. When you look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, we've read these already in our study, but just listen to them with that lens. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Because of who you are, I want you to, to see who you are. Exiles, strangers, you are priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Close the gap. Abstain from certain activities. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like live positively good lives. Abstain from things that are negative, but also live a positively good life. 
Michael Frost's book on exiles challenged me one day deeply when he said, only occasionally do professional theologians address routine activities. We had, when addressed, everyday issues tend to be approached too theoretically. He said, most churchgoers reject the idea of a gap between their beliefs and their way of life. I do think that sometimes I have a tendency, in my teaching even, uh, to be teaching at this level and not always let it get down to the boot, you know, the street level, the, the, uh, where the boots meet the ground, that level. And today I want to do that. I want to get to, I want to get to the neighborhood level. I want to get to the street level with you. And how do we, how do we close this gap in one specific area of our life? And the, the gap I want to close is a gap between how you're living and, and what you're doing when it applies to your personal evangelism. Now that word almost sounds dirty, doesn't it? Evangelism. Uh, it, not, it sounds dirty to a lot of us. In fact, almost half of practicing Christian millennials say evangelism is wrong. They feel like this, the evangelism is not something I should be engaged in. The sharing of my faith is somehow wrong. But I think we must close the gap when it comes to our personal responsibility to share our faith. We've got to close that gap. Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared. Be ready. To, to, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason the, for the hope that lives within you. Always be ready to share your hope. So why don't people share their faith? Like what are some reasons that people are not sharing their faith more readily? Well, I think one of the fears, is, this is obviously, I mean, this is, I shouldn't say obviously, it's not obvious to you, but maybe it will be in a second. Uh, but, but, but the fear of being weird. Like I do have a fear of being weird. I grew up watching the Saturday Night Live church lady, like Dana Carvey, like, you know, put the stereotype on display for everybody to see and to laugh at because the church lady was humorous, but everybody kind of knew who she was. Uh, if you grew up watching The Simpsons, you have Ned Flanders to look to. <laughs> He's the one that kept Christianity weird for all of us. He put the stereotype on display. And to be honest, it's starting conversations about faith seem unnatural. Like, how do you start a conversation about Jesus without being weird? I mean, can you imagine sitting with your buddies watching a soccer match, and the soccer match is tied and it goes into penalties, and you say to your buddy, speaking of penalties, have I talked to you about how Jesus paid the penalty for my sins? <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Or let's imagine you're watching a baseball game with your friends, and the, the runner is safe. And you go, speaking of safe, have I talked to you lately about how I'm safe in the arms of Jesus, my Savior? I mean, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you just sort of enter into a conversation about faith? Or let's say you're watching a basketball game with your buddies, and uh, somebody goes to the free throw line. Uh, in my image here at Golden State, they're not currently playing, in the, but, you know, whatever. I'm a Golden State fan like the Golden State Warriors. And so somebody goes to the free throw line. And you go, hey, have I mentioned lately about the free grace of Jesus Christ? I mean, how do you make that entry? You know, it's, it, it can be weird and awkward. And so people don't share their faith often because it feels weird. I think there's another reason, and this is one that actually hits really close to home. It's the fear of being manipulative. Because many of us who have grown up in evangelicalism, or if you've watched evangelicalism from the outside looking in, You've seen that Christians often, and, and, and you can accuse them of it, and I can say they have done it, used bait and switch tactics. 
Bait and switch has been a long-established Christian evangelistic practice. And it reads as disingenuine and manipulative because often it is. I'll give you an example from my own life and one that I'm not super proud of. But when I was a youth pastor years ago, I participated in an annual event a couple of our churches put together. It was a Fright Night Christian Evangelism event during Halloween. Uh, we would throw these events and people would show up, lots and lots of kids. We'd give away lots and lots of candy. At the end of the event, they would go into a room where there was a, a reenactment of somebody going in through a car, having a car accident and dying. And it would be really bloody and really scary and really gruesome. And then we'd get these young, impressionable teenagers into the room and we'd say, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And it was very intense, very moving, and somewhat, I think, in all honesty, manipulative. And as a young Christian, when I was trying to learn about my faith and try to learn about what it would look like to share my faith, uh, I did later conclude that was not the way I was going to choose for the future. I read John Stott's book, Christian Mission, and it really did fundamentally change the way I see Christian mission. In the book, he really challenges the concept of attaching evangelism to social justice or social work. In fact, when we were starting Shine School Partnership, this book was formational in our understanding of what we wanted to accomplish in Shine School Partnership. We did not want to condition our ability to share the good news of Jesus on, uh, based upon our social activity. We didn't want to, uh, make, in other words, make passing out backpacks a uh, or our sharing our faith a prerequisite for our passing out backpacks. We saw them not as mutually exclusive activities, that we should really be, truly be loving others. And he says, you know, there is this pejorative term called rice Christians in Christian evangelism. You see this around the world where people are rice Christians because they became Christians because you fed them and they were hungry. So they said, yes, I'll convert if That means I get to be fed. And, and that turned out to create rice evangelists, people who were evangelizing people in very disingenuous ways, manipulative ways, connecting their social justice, their love of the neighbor to their evangelism. It was manipulative. And I, I am very much against that kind of manipulation and evangelism. And so why don't people share their faith? Well, they share their faith because they fear being weird, and they also fear being manipulative, connecting something like loving our neighbor to uh, sharing our faith. In other words, we'll stop loving you if you stop accepting the gospel. That's, that kind of stuff is manipulative and, and, and hard to swallow, and you've seen that maybe in Christian circles. That sometimes can turn, us, turn, you know, turn evangelism into something bitter for us in terms of experience. So why, why don't people share their faith? Maybe fear being weird, maybe fear being manipulative, or perhaps fear because uh, you feel ill-equipped. You don't feel like you, you, you have the ability to actually share your faith. I want to encourage you just with a, one practical thought on this. Talking about Jesus openly with Christian friends is the best way to prepare yourself to talk about Jesus with your non-Christian friends. Uh, to put it just a slightly different way, it's easy to talk about who and what you love. And if you love Jesus and you deeply care about Jesus and his church and you're in Christian community and you're consistently talking about Jesus and your faith, it will be a lot easier for you to talk about Jesus with non-Christian people because he's a part of your everyday conversation. And the fear of being weird and manipulative, it can be addressed by, by closing the gap between who you are and how you live. In other words, if you start living your faith out more practically in everyday life, you won't worry, worry so much about being weird or being manipulative because it will be a part of who you are. Uh, look at 1 Peter 3.13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
Literally translated, the verse reads this way. If of the good zealots you become, who is there to harm you? He's, he's really pushing in here saying, if you are really living out your faith and people experienced your faith and your everyday stuff of life, you wouldn't worry about being weird because they would recognize you as being truly good. And, and you wouldn't worry about being manipulative because you were truly being good, loving the other and loving God and, and, the, all, and all the everyday stuff of life. And when Jesus' followers are zealots for doing good, they happen to live questionable lives. It, it's, it's, it's been a regular occurrence here at New City that it, it happened even just recently. We were serving Mission Ave Elementary School and somebody just raised the question, why are you doing this? Or what do you get out of it? And whenever those questions come up, they become immediate opportunities to share your faith. It happens all the time for people at New City who are serving in all kinds of powerful ways and meaningful ways, loving their neighbor. And when you love your neighbor radically and you don't engage in the hate-mongering of the, of the world, but you are actively seeking ways to do justice, uh, to, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, what ends up happening is people go, tell me more about your God because it's showing up in your everyday life. And if you live a questionable life, people will question you about your faith. Some of the reasons why, I hate to say it this way, but, I, but some, it needs, needs to be said. One of the reasons why some people never have the opportunity to share their faith is because there's, there's nothing questionable about their life. And when he says, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone, to, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope, there's a massive assumption here in the reading. One is that people are asking. And they're asking because there's something about your life that's calling them to question your faith. But there's another assumption, and that is that you can give a defense, that you're ready, that you, that you understand your hope and you're, ever, you're able to give that hope away. And I think the fear of being ill-equipped can be addressed by getting familiar with your story of hope, by really diving into your story, addressing that story of hope. Everyone has a hope story, by the way. Hope stories are not exclusive to the Christian experience. Everyone has a hope story. I was reading years ago this book by Donald Miller, and this caught my attention. Uh, the book is a, a Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And this is what Donald Miller says. He says, I think this is when most people give up on their stories. They come out of college wanting to change the world, wanting to get married, wanting to have kids and change the way people buy office supplies. But they get into the middle and discover it was harder than they thought. They can't see the distant shore anymore, and they wonder if their paddling is moving them forward. None of the trees behind them are getting smaller, and none of the trees ahead of them are getting bigger. They take it out on their spouses, and they go looking for an easier story. What Donald Miller's little couple paragraphs here, what resonate with me is I think, like you, like many of us, there are times in our life where we feel like we're not making progress. We're desperate for hope. I think COVID is one of those times, right? It doesn't seem like right now in the experience that we're living in, the trees behind us are not getting smaller and the trees in front of us don't seem to be getting bigger. And I would like to argue with you on, or make, to make, make an argument with you on this is that it's never been a better time to be in the hope business 
And as you become more familiar with your own hope narrative, my, my, my hope is that you'll, you'll have a story to tell. See, your, your hope story is your salvation story. It's all the things that God did to rescue you. It's all the things that God is doing to rescue you. It's all the things that God's working in your life to, to, to build within you this sort of narrative of redemption and restoration. See, salvation, uh, every salvation story has a framework. And I want to introduce you to the salvation story framework. There is a framework to every salvation story. This is not true of just Christian stories. This is true of every salvation story. Every salvation story follows the same framework. It's creation, it's fall, it's redemption, it's restoration. It's some story of origin. It's some story of brokenness or fall. It's some story of redemption, trying to fix the things that are broken. It's some story of restoration, some narrative of hope. Uh, to put it another way, your creation story is your identity story. It's how you see yourself fundamentally. Uh, your fall story is your problem story. It's what you primarily think is your problem in life. It's the thing that you're trying to solve. It's what you're spending your most, most of your energy on. Uh, your redemption story is your solution story. These are all the strategies you're trying to deploy to fix what you perceive to be your primary problem. And your restoration story is your hope story. It's what you hope will happen if your redemption story comes true. See, everyone's story can be evaluated through this story framework, everybody's story. Christian, non-Christian, everybody's living a story. And everybody's story can be filtered through basic identity, basic problem, basic solution, basic hope. Everybody has this particular storyline. Uh, let me put it uh, in the context of the biblical story. Uh, when you look at the biblical story, there is a story of creation. We were meant to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God made us as image bearers to enjoy him forever, to enjoy his creation. But there is a fall narrative in the Bible. We rebelled against God and replaced him with ourselves. We said we would like to be gods, in fact. And so redemption story is that God welcomes rebels back through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We sinned and we broke everything and God sent a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And he came and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died. He rose again, conquered our, our, <laughs> conquered our sin and overcame our death and he gave us life and his Holy Spirit to confirm that life within us and there's a restoration narrative, and that is that God will and is fixing what is broken by our rebellion. He is fixing it in us right now, but he will eventually fix it once and for all. And our hope is, and found in Revelation 21.5, when the voice on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new, and God's going to bring his great renewal work. See, everybody is living in accordance to a story. And what happens is when your story gets sideways, your whole life goes sideways. See, Satan won over Adam and Eve by calling into question their life story. He won them over by challenging their story, their basic narrative. He says, hey, if you take of this fruit, this forbidden fruit, that God, this, this one tree that God said don't touch, if you take of it, you'll be like God. You'll, you'll be able to call the shots. You'll be the God of your own story. And you could put Satan's story in this same framework. He, he said to Adam and Eve, hey, you were meant to, to be God's. The false stories, you're held back by God and his insecurities. Like he's keeping you from having your full life. He's, his insecurities are keeping you from becoming like him. So the redemption story, as Satan spun it for Adam and Eve, was you can be set free by disobeying God. Just take of the fruit and eat it. 
The restoration story, the, the portrait of hope he painted for Adam and Eve is you'll be like God. Don't you see, our lives are formed around what we believe to be our basic narrative, our basic storyline. You can do this with all kinds of stories. Think about it from the dieter's perspective, right? Dieters have a dieter story. Now, uh, many of us have suffered from putting on the COVID-15 or the COVID-19. I guess it's the COVID-19. Put on the COVID-19. It's the freshman 15. It's the COVID-19, all right? It's much more, all right? So the COVID-19 is a real challenge we're trying to come, overcome, right? So the dieter storyline might be one uh, that we might become familiar with. The basic creation story is I'm meant to be happy and valued. The basic fall narrative is I'm not physically attractive enough because I'm overweight or not fit enough. The redemption story, I can change through willpower, weight loss, and exercise. And then many people will. I, I, my, my prediction, uh, diet and exercise business is going to be booming after this COVID-19 thing is over. Because many people will try through willpower to get that weight loss and exercise they want. What's the hope? I hope that my body will be transformed because then I'll be appreciated. You can see how we, we can easily build an identity around uh, our physical well-being. We certainly can build an identity around our achievement. You can put the achiever story in the same framework. What's the basic identity story or creation story? I have worth and value because of my achievements. What's the basic fall narrative? I can never achieve enough and I feel like a failure. What's the basic redemption storyline then? I will sacrifice anything, even my family and friends succeed because success is everything. What's the basic hope? I will feel worthy when I have achieved enough. And many people are feeling that achievers uh, storyline right now because it's very hard to achieve in the current context. It's very hard to get ahead in the current context. And hope sometimes feels lost for those of us who are addicted to our achievements. There is an addict storyline. You can see the addict storyline. This will stick out to many of us. I need to be at peace and avoid anxiety at all costs. That's the basic creation or identity story. What's the fall or problem story? My pain always seems to find me. It just hunts me down. I can't get rid of my pain. What's the basic redemption strategy or solution? I need to suppress my pain through this drug in hopes that it will go away. Just keep self-medicating with alcohol or with drugs or with any other addiction that we might turn to to satiate the pain. What's the basic restoration? If I can't feel pain, then I'll finally be at peace. That's the basic hope narrative. My fear is during COVID-19 that many of us, because of the stress and because of the challenges, will turn to our addictions rather than turning to Jesus. That we'll, we'll try to satiate pain rather than turn to the one who overcomes all of our pain. Uh, there's a parent's story. You can put this in the same framework. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. What's the basic creation story? I, I, I am meaningful and significant because I'm a good parent. I'm going to build my whole identity around my success at parenting. What's the basic fall narrative? I'm not a good parent. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you have built your identity around being a good parent and you're homeschooling right now or you're doing online school and, and you're feeling the pressure of work and school, this one's really going to hurt you if you've built your identity around being a great parent. What's the ba basic redemption story? I will work and worry tirelessly to be the best parent that I can be. 
What's the basic restoration story? One day my kids will prove me worthy. Uh, their, their success will prove me successful. See, everyone is writing a story with their life. And you can put everybody's story in a framework like this. I mean, and we're not limited to one single framework even. There's lots of ways in which this framework works. And at different times and seasons of our life, we're leaning into different saviors and different redemption narratives to be our, be our rescue, to be our ultimate salvation. I think one of the most powerful things you can do if you want to be a good witness, if you want to be a good human being even, one of the most power things, powerful things you can do to someone uh, is, to, is to say to them, tell me your story. I can tell you that over the years, that simple phrase, what's your story? Or tell me your story has been the most powerful thing uh, I, have, I have done in conversation. It's amazing what people tell you. I can tell you that one of the problems that we have in American society right now is there's way too much talking and way too little listening. Listening is humanizing. Listening is a way that I say, your story matters to me. And I think one of the reasons why we don't share our faith as often as we should is because we spend far too much time speaking and far too little time listening to other human beings to really humanize them, to get to know the story, to, to find out what's really going on. And what happens when you become a really good listener is you start to listen with an ear in tune to identity and, and problem and solution and hope. And you begin to sort of identify that there's certain people have certain creation, fall, redemption, restoration stories. And that, and that there is a way in which the gospel can enter in. And when people are looking for false redeemers and false rescuers, they could really, they could really benefit from hearing the good news about Jesus. How he's the ultimate redeemer and the ultimate rescuer. You know, there's a phrase that you will see on the internet often these days. It's most often uh, attributed to uh, Benjamin Franklin, although there's no proof that Benjamin Franklin said it, but internet memes have made it so that Benjamin Franklin said it, but justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are affected. What that phrase is getting at is, is this idea that if I have not experienced it, it must not be real. We are dealing with, in our culture, uh, an empathy crisis. There are just too few people who are, who are saying, tell me your story. There are few, too few people who are diving into the narratives of other people saying, I want to know what's going on in your life and your experiences. And we have far too, far too, too few opportunities to share our own stories with others. Look, the only way I can know the experiences of others is by listening. Truly by listening. The, one of the verses that got a lot of attention in the message last week was 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. When you think about the current context that a lot of us are living in, there's a lot of reviling for reviling and evil for evil. There's a lot of people, you know, digging trenches and throwing grenades at each other, but not a whole lot of listening, not a whole lot of blessing. And people who bless, they earn the right to tell their story. They usually earn the right to tell their story because they're listening to the stories of others. Years ago, we put together uh, with a, a few other churches an acronym called BLESS. 
It was just posture of mission. If you want to be a good missionary, you can embrace this posture of blessing. It's very simple. Be prayerful. Listen. Eat. Serve. And story. Be prayerful. Pray, like, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your friends. Pray for others. Pray for missionary opportunities. And then when you pray, have a listening ear. And just be listening to the stories of your friends and your neighbors and people around you. Don't show up in every conversation trying to fill the air with everything you have to say, but truly take a posture of listening to other human beings and then share in community with them. Sometimes that involves eating. Sometimes that involves just simply experiencing community. When Jesus ate with sinners, he was saying, hey, we sit at a common table together. When people accused Jesus of eating with sinners, that was an accusation uh, that, uh, that was leveled on him because prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors felt comfortable being around him because he offered to them community and he didn't other others and he made others feel comfortable and hospitable and welcome in his company and so be prayerful listen eat show hospitality serve and care for the needs of others and then story tell your story one of the things i'm listening for when i'm listening to somebody's story is i'm listening for their redemption story their solution story what are they turning to to be the ultimate solution and sometimes I'll even ask that when I'm listening to someone's story, I'll ask questions around the redemption story. Like, how, what, are you, what are you doing to try to fix this problem that you have in your life? Uh, what, what are the solutions you're, you know, you're employing to try to better your life right now? What's the hope? What do you think will happen? What's the, what's the end result? Because whatever you are counting on to save you is your God. Whatever you're counting on to save you is really what you built your identity around. So in 1 Peter 3.15, our passage for today, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Set him apart in the first position. Like you have to make him the Lord. Nothing else gets that position. He gets to be the Lord in your life. And only when he is the Lord of your life do you really have freedom. You see, everyone is enslaved to what they deep down believe to save them. And when you look at somebody's story, their, their basic identity story, their basic problem story, their basic solution story, what you, can, what you can identify in that is what's enslaving them, what's holding them captive. If their basic identity story is the approval of others, which it has been for me in many times of my life, is I just want to be liked. And, and sometimes that enters into my storyline. And, and I, I, my, my primary identity is I want to be a likable person. And the fall is, the problem story is, I'm not liked by as, much, as many people as I'd like to be liked by. And the, my basic redemption storyline can often be, I just want to be approved of and liked by as many people as possible. And I'll do anything necessary to be liked. And the, the restoration story would be, if enough people likes me, like me, then maybe I'll like myself. That hits close to home. But those are... You, you, when you listen closely to your own story and the story of others, you'll see that we all have we all have these sort of interweavings of, of our own stories, our identity, our problem, our solution, our hope. And we say things like, I'll be happy, or I'll be fulfilled, or I'll be accepted finally if I could have this solution. This, if this redeemer could show up in my life and redeem me, I, I'd, be, I'd be okay again. But in order to have it, I need to achieve this. I, I must do this. I must get after this activity. And the reason why so many people are tired in this world 
and worn out in this world is because they're working really hard to redeem their lives, to fix their broken stories. And that's why when, when the truth of the gospel shows up, man, it shows up, it shows up in such a way that it eases us, it puts us at ease. Because Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. He's lived the life you couldn't live. I mean, the basic gospel narratives, I can't, he did because he did, I can. First Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made, but, but, but made alive in the spirit. Like, he's done it once and for all. Live the life you could not live. Live perfectly. Died the death you should have died. Paid for all your sins and shortcomings. Was buried in the, day, buried in the grave and rose again. Conquered sin to death. But he's done more than that. Jesus reformed our basic view of ourselves. In 1 Peter 3.21, the scripture reads, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Baptism, which now, of course, it, now it, 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 it puts on display your salvation story. And baptism is a, is a receiving, really, of a new identity. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, giving them a new Trinitarian identity. Helping them see that the Father has adopted them, that the Son has purchased them, that the Spirit has sent them. Helping them see they have a new identity in God. One of the things that happens at baptism is, is that you are sort of testifying that Christ died on the cross for my sins. And when you, when you experience that washing away or that renewal experience, what you're doing is you're saying, all of my shortcomings, all of my failures, everything that I've done wrong, everything that's holding me back, everything that I'm trying to work off with all my effort, it's been washed away. Like, he paid the penalty for it. And when I rise from the grave, I rise a recipient of his righteousness, meaning I have nothing left to prove with my life. There's nothing left to prove. That my sins have been covered, my debts have been paid, and I've been made new again. I can rest. We are offering a baptism class. You want to learn more about baptism? You can click on the QR code that we've shared earlier in the service or sharing right now, and you can, you can find more about the baptism class. You can find more about our baptism Saturday. We'd love for you to experience that new life that Christ has come to offer you. Uh, to, to put some of what I'm trying to say in a different way, that my identity is secure because it cannot be shaken by what I have done or failed to do. My identity is secure in what Jesus has done for me already. You see, because Jesus was strong for me, I am totally free to be weak. I don't have to be strong. I can be weak. He was strong for me. In fact, in my weakness, he's glorified. And I can let him be glorified in my weakness because in my weakness, his strength is displayed. See, because Jesus was as one for me, I'm free to lose. Because he has totally done it and achieved it for me, I am free to fail. See, because Jesus was someone for me, I'm free to be no one. In fact, I'm totally free from any kind of approval seeking because the Father in heaven has called me his child. Mm, I'm free. Because Jesus was extraordinary for me, I'm free to be ordinary. 
Look, because Jesus was, has succeeded for me, I'm free to fail. Our baptism is, is just, it's just a testimony to our new identity found in Jesus, our Redeemer. It's just a testimony to what he's already done for us. How, how free we are. Because all my failures, all my shortcomings, everything I, everything I wish I would have done but I haven't been able to do, I mean, it's all been washed away. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. It's, it's, a new, it's a new day. It's a new identity. You see, because our hope is not born from our accomplishments, boy, it changes everything about our attitude. Because we don't, we, don't put our, we don't put our resume on display for the world to see and say, this is what makes me worthy. This is what makes me valuable. It's not what Christians do. We put Jesus' resume on display and say, he's made me worthy. He's made me valuable. And because our hope is not born from our accomplishments, we can, we can only present our story. The story of our creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We only put our story on display with humility. Which I think was why Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Have you a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Do it with gentleness and respect. I think too often, uh, Christian evangelism can be abrasive. And, and, I, and I think what happens for us when we become familiar with our own hope story we realize in the essence of the gospel is not a confession of what we've accomplished, it's a confession of what God has accomplished on our behalf. When we look at our basic creation story, our basic identity story, like we were made to, we were made to worship God, we were made to love the other, we were made to enjoy every good and perfect gift that God has given us, we were, we were made to be at peace with ourselves because we, we know who our God is and we, and we bear his image and we love one another freely because we are free from any self-consciousness. Because of the fall, we have a tremendous problem. The fall has, has made us aware of our shortcomings. It's made us aware of the fact that we don't often measure up. Because of the fall, we have this problem that we feel like we gotta prove ourselves and prove ourselves worthy and we take all these redemption storylines and we start wrapping our, you know, we start wrapping our salvation, our redemption around our success at work or our success of parenting or, or who approves of us or how we look, who thinks we're attractive. It is, it is so easy. It is so easy to, to fall back into old narratives. If you're a Christian and you know that Jesus is your ultimate redeemer and, he, and you're saved not by what you have done but what he has done, to, to live the, as though you are saved by what you do. But the basic story of the Bible is that, that you were made as an image bearer of God, that image was broken, you feel it, and so you're trying to prove yourself worthy through your effort, but there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus and he came and he lived for you and he died for you and he rescued you and he's offered you new life. And your restoration story is he's making everything new. 
He's making you new again. He's making the world new again. And our hope isn't in what we can do or what we can accomplish. Our hope is in what Christ has accomplished once and for all. And what he's doing, making the world new again. My hope is that you will be able to come, you know, become more familiar with your own storyline. Are there any redeemers, that you're, any false redemption stories that you're living right now? Are you turning to something else during this dark time of COVID-19 to be your ultimate salvation? Have you considered turning to Jesus and asking him to show up in power and to rescue you and to save you? My hope is that you'll turn to Jesus. We are an imperfect people being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make everything new. In the series House Church, we've been offering a, uh, a Q&A time. Uh, today's Q&A time will be on Instagram and Facebook at New City ABQ in both places. Uh, we end our services at a time of generosity and prayer and communion. We'd love for you to uh, participate in generosity uh, with us at New City. Certainly, uh, if you'd like to pray, there's a, a Zoom prayer room at 9, 15, 11, and 6.30 services. You can join the Zoom prayer room during the worship. The Q&A starts after the worship ends. Uh, we'd love for you to take communion as a family uh, and, um, and obviously put that communion service on your calendar to enjoy communion with a wider church family at New City. Uh, we're going to end with a prayer. We've been uh, praying corporately together, and I'd love to be able to pray this prayer with you. Redeemer God, forgive us when we look to something else other than you for our ultimate purpose and meaning. You are our creator and our redeemer. Thank you for being our ultimate solution. Help us to rest in our hope found only in you. Amen. God bless.